Today's reading is Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. It can be found on page 632 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, in this room is a fantastic collection of lives that you are intimately familiar with. And as we come and sit in these chairs, we come with different concerns. We come, there's there's hurts in this room. There's grief in this room. There's pain and wounds in this room. There are lives brimming with possibility and excitement for the future. There are lives that have good news, recent news, perhaps answers to prayer. There are emotions of joy, thankfulness. And there's quite a spectrum of experiences. And some people even sit here today maybe with doubts on their minds, doubts about you, doubts about life, doubts about their family or their marriage or the world that we live in. And then some of us uh, just sit here and there's maybe a boredom or, or a depression or an aimlessness that um, just we can't seem to get unstuck. And from all these places... We look to you now in some way to bring some kind of light. Perhaps we feel the darkness. We feel its potential or we see it and we feel it deeply in the experiences we have. We come and we're more of a mess than we care to admit. Every single one of us is in in need of your grace every second. And the the story that we enter into, this, this opening day of the Christian calendar of Advent... The story that we'll explore for the whole next year is the story of you moving towards the mess and in fact embodying your love right in the heart of mess and brokenness through Jesus so that we know if we're to take anything away from this, it's that yes, we're part of the mess, but you through Christ love us and so that we are not just broken, but we are also deeply loved more than we could ever dream or imagine. Now with Advent hope 
and light. Would you help us to know that love this morning? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have been looking into the Old Testament book of Isaiah in the adult Sunday school time, which happens in the back of this room, um, 9.30 every Sunday. We've been looking at Isaiah already for, for five, six weeks, so we've been some of us gathering around that table in the cold. It's even, you think it's cold up in this area. It's even colder back there. Um, I'm really, I know I'm really selling that, that adult Sunday school right now. It's really cold. It's for the few and the chosen, um, the frozen chosen. Um, so yeah, no, we have a really good time digging into the, you know, the different passages of scripture. It really is a lively thing. And we've been into Isaiah and, and it's clear already I can tell you, and all of us who have, who have been to this study, is that this is a fear-filled portion of Scripture. There's lots of fear, fear and things to be afraid of. Two kinds of terror, I think, I'd like to mention particularly. One is the fear of the enemy. That's in the book of Isaiah, the fear of the enemy. Which, through the beginning of Isaiah, it's this mighty Assyrian army this Assyrian kingdom. The Assyrians are coming to threaten the power of Judah's reign and Judah's hold on the land. The Assyrians are coming, the fear of the enemy. And we have fear of the enemy today in this world. We embody that in all kinds of different ways. Maybe we wonder if some violent bad guy is out there that's going to unjustly strike us or our children, hurt us, take what's ours, or further oppress us. We have fears of the enemy out there. In Isaiah, there's also fear of God, quite frankly. Especially as you read through Isaiah, it's, it's easy to start to get a little afraid of what seems to be coming from the hand of God. Um, the images include some pretty rigorous justice being dulled out by this God of Jacob. Predictions of judgment coming down on chosen people of Israel and Judah, but also judgment coming down on the Assyrians. So it's terrifying in a way because it seems like no one's safe from this, these judgments that are coming out from this God. So we not only have fear of enemies, but there's, you kind of start to say like, well, should I be afraid of God? And, and in today's world, we have a lot of that as well. We have a lot of people, we have a lot of ethos of just wondering if God is just, wondering if he's fair, wondering maybe if the Bible's God is an unjust judge who revels in fire falling from the sky on us unsuspecting good-hearted people. Is that that the God of the Bible? Or maybe we even admit that we are not perfect. Maybe you're willing to admit that. And so you wonder, like, well, how will God deal with my imperfection? Is judgment coming? Is, am I going to be punished as my sins deserve? So there's, there's lots of fears that Isaiah brings up. Dark fears. And dark fears are a part of our world day in and day out. I was thinking about this passage this week. I was thinking about how our world can make us afraid and, I, and I, I realized that this year alone, two separate homes of people here at City Life have, been, have had gunfire piercing their walls in the middle of the darkness of night, just in this small collection of people that come together at City Life. The world can be so scary that you put all of your energy 
And it's definitely a temptation. Put all of your energy into my safety and making it safe, making a little kingdom of safety here, a safe neighborhood, safe schools for my children. Or maybe you, you check the pistol underneath the mattress at night before you go to bed just to make sure. Now, hopefully you're holding one of those candles or you're going to grab one on the way out. That candle is your Advent object lesson. Our fears are real and they are like a darkness. Our fears about this world represent how this world seems dark and in need of illumination. We think about this this morning and we look at Isaiah chapter 2, our first Advent text. It predicts a time when you will reach for light no more. A time when it will be impossible to be afraid and you will have nothing to fear. That's what Isaiah 2 is trying to get us to picture. It's Isaiah's bright future. And we need to take a few minutes to try and see if we can see what Isaiah saw. So we're going to try to picture Isaiah's bright future using Isaiah chapter 2. Now there's three surprises that hit us. So this basically we're talking about three surprises that come in this bright future in Isaiah. So if you look to verses 2 and 3, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, and it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. So verse 2 and 3, that's the picture. It's um, this picture of people from all over the place streaming upward, which is strange. It's, it, it, it's going, they're going up. It's like the reverse of a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope upward. Um, they're drawn up in a way like those beads of water that strain up your windshield when you're driving on the freeway on a rainy day. But the surprise here is who is streaming up? Who is kind of being magnetized up this mountain? And it's, it's remarkable that as Isaiah's overall book communication, communicates to us, nations uh, in utter turmoil, no one trusting their neighbor, every nation is out for itself. And into that world, he paints this picture of all these nations, all these different tribes, all these different peoples, heading up to the same place the same God. And that's what the surprise is, the first surprise. Now, I know there might be a fastidious Bible student among you who says, oh, that's not a surprise. That's that's been in the Bible all along. And that's true that going back to Genesis, you can have when God first starts this covenant with Abram and Sarah, and he speaks words to them and kind of plucks them out of nowhere in insignificance to kind of turn them into a people. And then the rest of the Bible will be all about that people. Well, what did God say to them in Genesis 12? He said, you know, this blessing will be for you, but it will be for all peoples. All nations, all peoples will be blessed through you. So God always sort of had this view. It's easy to forget. It's easy to say, no, it's just going to be us. God has something for whatever my people group is. Um, but the Bible keeps giving us clues that that's not at all God's vision. It, it, the, the whole picture ends in Revelation where there's this another image, a heavenly image of all these tribes and nations, and they're all singing 
a song together before God. They're all singing one song to one God. It's this multi-language, all-ethnic choir singing joyously together to the God who made them all. Um, So that's God's idea of a song. That's God's idea of where things are going and who's going up that mountain. Our idea, the songs we sing with our with our lives, how we live, and with our, even with some of our songs, they're not always like that. They're often, you know, God bless us. You know, just, just our group. And so we even have songs. If you're American, you have these songs like God bless America, God bless the USA. That wouldn't be the kind of song that the God of the Bible would dream up for us. That's not the, the vision that God has. Maybe it would, if you had to tweak that, it might come out something like, God bless the rest of the world too. Um, it doesn't have the ring to it, but that's kind of, you get the idea. So surprise number one is that Isaiah's bright future is not isolationism from the scary world of people who are different from us, but rather this, this side-by-side We're going up together. That's where things are headed. That's the first surprise. The second surprise is why these people are streaming uphill. And it's because of the remarkable words of God, the law of God, the instruction of God that flows from this mountain. So it actually isn't just randomly people are drawn up to this mountain. It's actually that there's, there's a two-way flow, and already before they're going up this mountain, what has happened is God's ways and God's words have flown, flowed out and just made their way down the mountain and out to the whole world and all the land. So that people are so captivated by God's words that they are, in turn, flowing upward in response. Isn't that incredibly difficult to imagine in today's world? It's just really, I mean, if we're honest, the Bible's God, Christianity's God. It's viewed as the source in this passage, the source of perfect teaching, fair laws, life-giving direction for our world. It's difficult to imagine that in our world today. Isaiah's vision paints the picture as God's words are so unmistakably compelling to people that you can't help but tell your neighbors while you're stuffing your backpack full for the mountainous journey upward. But you turn to them, and as verse uh, 3 shows us, many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting to imagine also, I mean, we can't, it's hard to imagine in our world today. It was hard for them to imagine, for the tribe of Judah to imagine when Isaiah was speaking this vision. Because God's people, if you want to call them that, Judah, they were in fact, being quite criticized in these prophecies for not really caring about God's instructions and God's words. So even in their time, the people who were supposed to value God's words and justice, they weren't really caring enough. And so a lot of the words of judgment in this book are coming to them. But they still had this identity of we're the chosen people. I wonder how they felt about this picture, that someday 
their enemies, the Gentiles, are going to be so addicted to the teachings of Torah, to the God of Israel, that they were going to be you know, telling their neighbors and streaming upward for the, for the worship festivals of the Jewish people. But the Gentiles would be doing this. I mean, how strange it must have been to hear a prophecy like this for the original audience. I don't know that they could picture the day that we're being asked today to picture as well. And we're asked to picture that this is where things are going. This is what we think about during Advent, the brokenness of this world. And is it, is it possible that there is a God who knows the way things are supposed to work, who put that seed of justice that you have, that you kind of bring to the world, you bring to your workplace, your family, your politics, that justice that's kind of brewing inside of you, coming from within, is, there, is it possible that there's a God who reflects perfectly those impulses of justice? And there will be a day when, those, when that justice will flow out into the whole world. It'll bless everyone. It's hard to picture in a world where you know, each friend or family member or coworker has a different reason why they don't trust the Bible, why it's not for them. So those are the first two surprising parts of this picture. All nations streaming up together to the same place. And it's because, secondly, the second surprise is that it's it's God's word flowing out from the mountain that is so universally popular. And then the third surprise. Now remember, this is spoken into a war-torn part of the world at a time of great insecurity. And the third surprise is a final peace. In fact, a peace so secure that fear no longer seems to exist at all. Not only are we asked to picture the bittermost enemies side by side hiking up to receive God's instruction together, so just pick your idea of bitterly opposed enemies today, in today's world, or throughout all of human history, and just picture them smiling at each other and walking uphill together to receive God's instruction. Not only are we, our minds asked to be bent around that picture, but we're asked to picture a time where our fears are so long gone that weapons of war are casually getting repurposed into garden implements. Tools to foster life rather than destruction and death. Verse 4 says, He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Can you picture that? There's a city named Culiacan in Mexico that is the power hub for a notorious drug cartel. Maybe you've heard of um, talk of the capture of El Chapo, this cartel gang leader. Um, Just a month ago, the Mexican security forces raided and arrested one of El Chapo's sons. And this was in Culiacan. This is such a dangerous city. There's so many homicides every year. So So this is what happens, is they capture the son... This is Mexico's military forces coming into the city. This isn't just the city police. This is like the national military coming in. They've raided. The the response of the drug cartel is to turn the entire city into a a firefight. 
a battle zone. And videos of the, of the gun battles that you can find online are, are terrifying. And so the criminals were so successful at outgunning the Mexican military that they decided, the military, the, go- the government of Mexico decided to hand back the, the criminal that they had done this, you know, this arrest of, El Chapo's son, to just hand him back and say, please stop shooting your guns. Enough, we, enough innocent lives, just stop. We'll give you back your bad guy. And this is the dark and terrifying world. Um... This is how dark and terrifying the world can still be as we attempt to sit here this morning with an Advent view of things. Advent's inviting us to picture Isaiah's bright future of peace. But it's in that, it's in that exact city, Culiacan, where, a, uh, where an artist named Pedro Reyes uh, was able to picture a different vision a few, few years earlier. So first he ran a campaign for citizens to bring in uh, any guns that they had. No questions asked, and they were given vouchers. Then he took, the, took all these weapons and, uh, and took out the pieces of plastics and the wood that might be a part of them and, and melted them down. And then they were put into molds. And what they got is they got 1,527 guns, they put them in molds, and they made 1,527 shovels. And then they used those throughout the city to plant 1,527 trees. That's a picture of Advent. That's Advent-type imagination. That's what we're being asked through this passage That's where we're being asked to go. That's how playful our minds are being asked to go. With real hope, with with real imagination about a real future. I don't know if you can picture it. But I like that picture because the violence didn't end. We're still in a war-torn country. There's still a lot of things to be afraid of. And yet it's that kind of picture that is exactly the kind of thing Advent asks us to have in our minds every day when we wake up. Isaiah's vision is, is that passage, just those short verses we read. It ends with chapter, or verse 5 saying, Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What does that mean? What might it mean? What might the conclusion be? Walking in the light of the Lord. You have those candles that you grabbed on the way in, or you might grab on the way out. What does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? If you allow me to quote... Uh, an older version of scripture, a now outdated version, of a verse in Psalm 119, which, which uh, if you wonder, well, what does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A couple of you also learned that song in Sunday school as a child. <laughs> That's why I put it in those words. Thy word is a light unto my path and, a, and thy word is a light unto my path a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I knew I was getting it wrong. That's Isaiah 119. And that's a clue to how you can lean into this bright future. God's word is spoken of as light, but also Jesus is talked about as the light of the world. And he's also talked about as the word become flesh. So Jesus is the light. Jesus is the word. 
And in Jesus, Christians believe that God already achieved a glimpse, kind of a, a big, massive glimpse of this swords being turned into plowshares idea. When the violence was bent on Jesus and the sword enforced his crucifixion, the very act of violence on him was transformed into an offering of love for all nations. The last enemy, death itself, was defeated when he rose from the dead. I don't know if you've ever thought about the, the, the cross of Jesus in that kind of way. The cross of Jesus, is a, it's a violent image. It's a violent weapon. And Jesus turns that weapon into the peace and the reconciliation that flows out into the world and draws all of you home to be called God's children, whoever you are, wherever you're from. The violence of the cross becoming the great unifier, being completely turned around. So this week, you've got a little candle. This is what I suggest you do. Each day, take one minute. I know that's all you have, some of you, just one minute. That's all I ask. One minute each day this week, take that candle and light it and look at it and pray and ask God's help. Say, God, how can I today take your light into this dark world? I'm going to pray, but I just also want to mention something that I, I, uh, I think we meant to say at the beginning of the service. Um, you'll have some time during communion. You'll have some time after the service. There is a, a beautiful outline up there. There's markers on a table. We've put that there, and we're going to have that up every week for four weeks in a row of Advent. It's an Advent image. It's leading up to Christmas. You can go over there and just be the artist that we know you are and contribute to something that will be a collective work by the time we get to Christmas. Please help us do that, and let's have that be a great expression of how we enter into this season. Let's pray. Our God of grace, um, there is so much darkness, and some of us bring darkness this morning that we're concerned about. Some of us bring light. Whatever the case may be, draw us in and draw our imaginations into the future that you have for this world, this future you have for us. We can't even begin to imagine it. Would you help us and would you lead us through our questioning, through our doubts, um, through our pain, and through the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.